foreclosures are the Texas foreclosures on the rise 2023 welcome to another episode of loan with Jen whether you're streaming us on podcast watching us on YouTube we have some great data packed information about Texas foreclosures past and present so if you're a homeowner if you're a seller if you're an investor you really want to watch this episode Welcome to the Loan with Jen podcast, your go-to weekly source for all you need to know about financing your home. Get ready for a no BS, fact-driven journey. I'm Jen Hernandez. I've been a loan officer since 1995 with over 4,600 families financed to date. I love to simplify the most complicated loan questions, making them a breeze to understand. The ideas expressed here are my own opinions and should not be taken as legal advice. Thanks for joining. Let's get started. I am joined today by Tarl Anderson. I have known Tarl for 13 years. We just figured it out. He's been a client. His wife is an Excel wizard and has completely built a CRM for me. He has referred us tons of clients and he is so knowledgeable. I'm so honored to have you here today, Tarl. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Give us your background and why listeners should listen to what you have to say. So I started in the mortgage business in 2003 and did that for a couple of years, got my real estate license. I actually started working with a lot of investors back oh, in 2003 okay. and they said, wow, you're really good at this on the loan side. We'd love you to be in real estate so you could help us there as well. And so I did both for a number of years between 2005 and 2009 and then I met you um, in 2009 and at that point I realized I didn't have to do that half of the business anymore and I handed all of my buyer clients off to you and I think while it hasn't been true the last couple of years I was your number one or number two referral source yeah, for a number of years and as my business has grown I've shifted more towards working with sellers but I just had my 20 year anniversary in the business this year okay so that's a lot of knowledge right here not only lending but real estate and in the most recent years he's been doing a lot more with foreclosures, which has led to this amazing episode about foreclosures. Wait to see the data that we have in store about what is to come based on what's been in the past. So my first question, we did a good job of questions for you, so we made sure to keep on track. But let's start there. Why are foreclosures healthy for this market, for any market? A lot of people don't know that foreclosures provide a tether to kind of a baseline price. And we had a number of years because of some government policies where the government said you're not allowed to evict tenants that weren't paying rent. You've got homeowners that weren't paying their mortgage. And that was all allowed for basically from March of 2020 until January of 2022. And during that period, there wasn't that healthy kind of grounding effect by having foreclosures in the market. And so we actually got a graph. I know not everybody's gonna be able to see that, but in that graph, it shows where there's, we got down, and my data, by the way, only includes five counties. It's Harris County, which is most of Houston, Fort Bend, Montgomery, Brazoria, okay. and Galveston. But we got down to where we were about 200 foreclosures a month. And now just this month, we're at over a thousand a month. A lot of people live without any context, they don't know, is that a lot? Is it a small amount? But just for some context, in 2009, 10, 11, we hit as many as three and 4,000 foreclosures a month. So we still have a long way to go before we yeah. get there, but we've got a healthy amount back in the market. We're gonna pause there really quick. So not to worry, in the notes description of this episode, we're gonna have Charles' presentation. 
We've got other resources, some graphs, uh, if you want to just get right to the graph. So we'll let you know here. Actually, we'll just let them know what slide it's on because they can look at the presentation. So you're on slide 12. And what we're seeing is in the last year how low these foreclosures have been. And that's because the moratorium and COVID, right? We had a lot of government stimulus. We had all these government policies that wouldn't allow mortgage companies to foreclose. Mm -hmm. And so these numbers became very depressed to levels we've never seen. Okay. And just since January of 22, the mortgage companies are legally allowed to, but it took them two or three months because the government kicked the can down the road five different times and said, well, we think we're gonna be able to foreclose later, but then they decided, no, we're not gonna do that now. And so now that mortgage companies are allowed to foreclose, they're slowly starting to pick the pace back up. I don't know that there's been a significant change in the number of people that are behind on their mortgages, but there's just a normal amount from death, divorce, job loss, mm -hmm. just forced tough situations. Let's just dig in right there because, I mean, my insurance went up, taxes are going up. I almost had a heart attack when I saw my insurance. <laughs> so these things are going up and wages aren't going up fast enough to cover that. People are becoming short. Their payments are going up if they escrow because of escrow payments. So let's talk about your thought of what's going to come with these foreclosures. So foreclosures, they always happen at some mm -hmm. point, but what, what's your prediction? So my belief is that a lot of people that purchased prior to COVID have good sales prices. They very likely refinanced with you post-COVID and got these phenomenally low mm -hmm. rates in the high twos and in the threes. threes yeah. And those people, they're getting continual stimulus that's allowing them to kind of boost the economy because like me, I refinance my house and save $300 a month. But what a lot of people aren't recognizing is that you're losing that savings to inflation or your property tax bill or your insurance. And if you're not careful, you put yourself in a tough spot. And my research has shown that in 2007, before the great financial crisis, the average down payment was 21% and now it's closer to 9%. And so there's just a lot of people that are buying at what I believe are kind of elevated home prices and they have less skin in the game. And even though they've got great credit now and they don't have all these adjustable rate mortgages, if we see a small shift in the economy and there is for selling, and I don't have a crystal ball, but if there is, I think there could be a high number of folks that are just turning their keys back over to the mortgage company. And if and when that happens, if there aren't enough buyers in the market, it could create an imbalance. So when you say forced selling, explain that. Forced selling, you could have death, divorce, job loss, illness. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that can cause that. And I talk to people all the time that are in a tough spot. And in the last two or three years where I've kind of backed off on the buyer side with a lot of my clients, I've been kind of making up that in helping sellers. And I've also been helping people that are in a tough spot with their home, where maybe a family member's passed away and they've got a house that they want to get rid of. And those people may have a great mortgage or their deceased family member may have had a great mortgage, but they just don't need that house. And so there will be a certain amount of selling that goes on. And so one of the things that I do with my team and I, we track not only the number of foreclosures that are occurring, but also the total number of sales. There's a relationship between those two that's worth noting. And I think we've got that chart on slide 13, if you look in your notes. And one of the things that you'll find is that the number of foreclosures that are percentage of the total got super low. 
Mm -hmm. And now that that's starting to climb back up, we're back to a healthy level where it represents 10 to 15% of the total sales. Oh, is it? Because when I'm looking at the graph, well, that goes back to March though. So we're now a couple months. So right now in the Houston market, MSA, foreclosures are at about 10%, mm -hmm. where the lowest level was we got down to 2%. Down to 2%. 2%. So yeah. it's creeping back up. And where did you say healthy levels are? 10 for to 15%. 10 to but 15%. we're just now getting into that range where it should be there all the time. You'll find, if you go back to 2010, it reached actually 50% of total sales were foreclosures. And that's a very unhealthy amount. And you just got far too many sellers, not enough buyers. And that imbalance is what causes prices to come well, down. Well, talking about 2010, I remember it clearly. You know, that was after the mortgage meltdown. I mean, the quality of loans now is so much different. And mm -hmm. I don't see at all that we're going back to what was going on in 2008, 9, and 10. But I have a question. So what you're saying is now the foreclosures are creeping up. Now I'm still seeing in the Houston market, there are, especially in the lower priced areas, like 350, 400 and below, I'm still seeing multiple offers in a lot of markets. So yeah. I don't see that the demand, even with higher rates, I know there are some people that are sitting out of the market because they just can't afford it, but those properties are still moving. The number of total sales that are occurring these days is quite a bit lower than it historically has. I think we're at like a 25 year low in sales transaction volume. Okay. And when you have reduced volume and the number of buyers stays the same, then prices go up. As long as the number of sellers and buyers drops at the same time, we're in good shape. Mm -hmm. And that's what's holding prices up. I did a ton of research because a year and a half or so ago, I was looking at this and I just thought, there's no way this is the way this is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And as I dug into that research, I determined it wasn't rates that are the big driver. It's simply employment. And so if you refer to slide 14, this is a chart from the Federal Reserve Economic Data website. This is public information. And what it identifies is each of these vertical gray bars, those represent a recession. Mm -hmm. And every time we are moving into a recession, unemployment's climbing. And we are currently at 75-year lows on unemployment. That's phenomenal. The Federal Reserve has yeah. two mandates. One is to have maximum employment, which they've nailed, mm -hmm. and the other is to maintain stable pricing, which they've failed miserably at. And so now they're willing to have some people lose their jobs to help tame inflation. And as that happens, people are going to not be able to pay their payments. And then we start to get more of an imbalance in the number of buyers and sellers. As you get more sellers, if there aren't more buyers, and that's why we need rates to come down as people are losing their jobs mm -hmm. so that we can keep a balanced number of buyers in the market space. You know, just a sidebar, we're not gonna really go into rates in this, but we're right now filming this in October of 2023. That's actually why rates in the last couple of weeks have trickled up even farther because the unemployment numbers keep coming out pretty strong. So they're like, y'all, <laughs> we need to see unemployment increasing. We need to see that people are losing their jobs to know that we're getting to the recession. So that's why rates haven't tamed. It will eventually happen. Mm -hmm. It's just when it's gonna happen. So let's talk about the next year because I super believe in the next 18 to 24 months, rates will come down as this inflation and tame the inflation as the job loss increases and as we do get in and out of that recession. I mean, in 28 years, I've seen it several times already. Uh, so it will happen again. 
But what's your prediction for the next year? What do you think is going to happen? Starting with rates, to answer your question, I've got slide number three here. You can see the blue line represents the median or the average 30-year fixed rate over the last 20 years that I've been in the business. You've been in the business longer. But you can see it's gone up higher than you and I have seen it at all in the last 20 years. Yeah. And what that does is that pushes a lot of people out of an affordability window, forcing mm -hmm. them into lower price homes or out of the market completely if they can't find what they want within their price range. And so as buyers start to pull back, then because of rates, then what you're going to find is that that will help solve the pricing problem. A lot of people, mortgage folks included, say that rates are the only problem. And it's not just rate. I did some research and I looked at what is today's sales price and rate combination net out in the form of a payment. That is found on slide five. And you can see here, this is the last 20 years. You can see the trend line there, but you can see our payments have skyrocketed. And for us to Mortgage just, payments, right? Correct. Yeah. So it takes the corresponding 30-year fixed rate available per mm -hmm. month and the median home price in the Houston area going mm -hmm. back 20 years. Mm -hmm. And what payment goes along with those two? Mm -hmm. And we are at a level right now where mortgage payment, our just principal and interest is around 2300 a month. Mm -hmm. We should be, based on this trend data, at around $1,480 per month. So we're $900 in the red. On payment. That's not price, but just payment. And what that means is... We need the sales price to come down and we need rates to come down a little bit together to get us back on trend. Now, I saw recently, I'm gonna send it to you because mm -hmm. I know you eat this stuff for lunch, <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yes. I was watching you know, Barry Habib, who's mm -hmm. very well known in our industry. He did recently a podcast talking about wages. Yes, there's this $900 difference in where payments should be, but wages have been also going up. So mm -hmm. he, he went through, you're gonna love, it was so nerdy on data. I was like, oh, Tarl would love this. <laughs> So it talked about, yeah, it's 900, but really it's not, it's less. It was more like 200 when you consider the wage increase inflation that has come along with it. So just a sidebar. So I considered that. And one of the things a lot of people talk about is, well, we're not going back to 2019 values. And that is absolutely true. We're not going back to those levels in my belief. But there is a trend line that's been established over the last 20 years, and we should go back to that. And so if you go back here and look at 2019, the payment was around 1100. We should be just under 1500 now. So when a lot of lenders say marry the house and date the rate, what is not being considered there because there is a 35% gap between where home payments are and where they should be. But I went back and I researched the average 30 year fixed rate available over the last 20 years, all the way up until December of 2019 all of our pre-COVID rates, and that average came out to 4.75. Mm -hmm. Now, if we took today's sales prices at a 4.75% interest rate, our mortgage payment is still 15% over the trend line, not 2019 values, but just the trend line. And so whether we're talking about payments, if you refinance, everything is just a little bit out of whack. And so as those things move back to some level of normalcy, it's gonna allow a lot more buyers to come into the market. And so what I've encouraged a lot of my buyers to do for the last two years is just pump the brakes. It's okay to rent. And I know that's not what mortgage folks wanna hear. Agents that just help buyers, that's not what they wanna hear. But it's okay to pump the brakes, wait for a better entry point into the market, and then have the cash ready to deploy and be ready to get into a house that's a better fit for you where you're not having to sacrifice your retirement 
or your comfort, hate for someone to be into a mortgage and then they resent their house because they can't afford to go to dinner or go on vacation because every dollar they have is going to pay for this house. And one of the ways that we measure that in my office with our buyer clients is we look at what is a, a reasonable rent rate for a house in your neighborhood where you're looking to purchase and what is your cost of ownership? And I've got a client right now that their rent rate for their new home they're looking to purchase would be about 4,000 a month, but it's gonna cost them with a 20% down payment, it's gonna cost them 6,000 a month to own. Mm -hmm. And if they are forced to move because of a job transfer, divorce, whatever the case may be, they may be in a position where they have to sell in an inopportune time and they don't have a parachute to help them be able to rent it out until they can find a better date to sell. And that's what I look at with a lot of my clients, You're just kind of walking them through. It's fine for you to buy. You can't tell someone to stop their life and wait for a, the best entry point in the world, mm -hmm. but is there a point at which it is more comfortable for you where you're not sacrificing so much to get into a home? And that's Tarl and I have talked about this on the side and we both very politely disagree with each other. <laughs> he knows that I have a different view. I really don't believe that rates or that values, I think we won't have you know, massive appreciation like we've all enjoyed from 2020. Mm -hmm. By the way, we're all pretty lucky. COVID should have never happened. But, <laughs> but I believe that the percent of appreciation will decrease, but I don't see everything that I've seen does not point to this massive downturn. So yes, it's true that there are some people where it behooves them to rent. But it's also true that there are people that can afford the payment. They are very willing and want to buy, and they're still getting into an appreciating asset that they're going to be able to start getting a tax deduction. If they're first-time buyers, they haven't ever realized that over the standard minimum tax deduction, they're going to get to enjoy that. And they're also going to have this appreciating asset that even if you bank in 4 or 5% appreciation, in some areas it's more as we get more to normal levels, as you said, the foreclosures are increasing, things are getting a little more balanced. Historically, three to 5% appreciation is Houston, the Houston area. So that's my view is that the house that you're looking at today, a year from now, will be higher than it is today. So on slide seven, we kind of show your average appreciation rate over the last 20 years. And what this is showing is that your home may retain value but when you have years where you're growing by 15, 16, 17% per year in back-to-back -back years, what those owners were able to do is essentially pull forward five or 10 years worth of appreciation in two or three. Mm -hmm. And so what That's I think right. is more likely going to happen is instead of enjoying four or 5% annual appreciation, I think folks that are getting in now may be in a situation where it just holds flat for a long time. Mm -hmm. And what I ask my clients to do, if your home holds flat and you're comfortable with that, go for it but don't buy it just because you think it's gonna go up by four to five percent because real estate over a long enough period, if you just connect those two dots, it is an upward trend. Mm -hmm. But based on when you have to buy and when you may be forced to sell, those numbers may not make good sense for you. And so it's important that you just have a mortgage and real estate person that guides you through the potential risk that you may be coming into. Having a beautiful home, something you can call your own, there's a value to that and it may require or allow you to ignore some of the financial aspects of it. And everyone just has to kind of take their own situation into consideration and as they make that move one way or the other. Yeah, and each, in looking at this graph, it's number seven on the slide deck that we'll put down in the notes for you, Charles' slide deck. So it says in July of 2023 that overall Houston 
is change, negative. Well, change in the median home price. Correct. Well, well it was right at zero right so then. So the blue line is the actual data. The red line is mm -hmm. the 12-month rolling average. So if you want to see... And this uh, is all of Houston, right? Correct. Yep. So it's interesting, though, because, I mean, I'm still seeing there's multiple offers out there. Like, you, there's some markets that this doesn't hold true. This is all of Houston, but every neighborhood is different, and that's why it's so mm -hmm. important that you have a an area specialist that mm -hmm. really knows what's going on. Yeah. And one of the things I'm doing for all of my clients right now, my buyers specifically, is as I'm running a CMA or comparative market analysis, trying to estimate what it's an appropriate value for their home today, I'm also taking a snapshot and looking back at 2019 values because... If we do retreat a little bit off of the peaks, which you can see here mm -hmm. on slide four, the blue line is median home price broken down per month. We hit a peak in May or June of 2022. We came down pretty hard around December and January, which we always do. That's just a seasonal adjustment. Mm -hmm. And that's where this red line kind of helps smooth some of that out. Yeah. But we then pushed back up from January of 23 and peaked again in June of 23 but it's not as high as it was in June of 22. And if we're using the great financial crisis as kind of a reference for what could potentially happen, mm -hmm. we peaked in 2007 and then bottomed somewhere around 2012. Yeah. But 75% of that drop occurred in the first two years. And so if we're going to see a bit of a pullback in prices, most of that's probably gonna be from peak, which was summer of 22, for the two years after. And mm -hmm. we're still holding really strong. So if we're gonna see kind of an ugly dip, it's likely to be 24, 25, and then anything after that could go down a little bit, but it's not gonna be drastic. And so yeah. I've just encouraged my clients to kind of keep an eye on the market. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have to move in this year or next, then just see which direction it heads. And if the economy happens to slip in a big way and unemployment starts to rise, then I think we're gonna see prices start to dip a little bit further. And I just wanna make sure that anyone that I'm working with is prepared for the potential risk. You don't have to sell. Mm -hmm. And as long as you can afford the payment, like you said, you can stay there, you'll never know the difference. But it's those people that may be forced to sell or want to sell for some one reason or another who may not have favorable terms on the way out if they have to do it at an inopportune time. So wrapping up with the foreclosures, and this has been lots of really great information. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So wrapping up in the foreclosures, as foreclosures are rising, my prediction, and I think this comes from behind the scenes and seeing how many applications I take and how many people are on hold because they're holding out because they have to. They're like, I cannot afford to live in the neighborhood where I need to live. So when rates because of the pent-up demand that I see every single day in my own pipeline, I believe that when my data, personally, with what we have, is that when rates do start to come down even a little bit, we are going to see a lot of people re-entering. And I really believe that they're going to gobble up the foreclosures. They're going to, the people that are, the sellers that are at 2.75, they're going to be like, okay, we can breathe now. We need to move because of our family. So now's the time where we don't feel as bad taking a five something interest rate versus, you know, eight. Like it just sounds so much better, right? So I think there's going to be a lot of movement. And I think that, I think that there's going to be some upward pressure on the prices once again the key is my, is my prediction we'll see who's right yeah well the key is <laughs> the key is going to be simply are we able to maintain employment levels as rates start to come down yeah and and if one moves faster than the other we could see prices push up again mm -hmm. if 
people lose their jobs faster than people enter into the market, then we can see prices come down. And mm -hmm. it's it's an interesting time to be in the market. Yeah. And I love my job. I love being able to serve as a consultant to a lot of my clients and help them better understand the interworkings of this. And a lot of my clients, most of my clients are engineers, accountants, and attorneys. It's all the number nerds and yeah. detailed people. We have one that's going to be closing in about a week, yes. week and a half. Yes. So. And yeah. so I love what I do. I know you do as well. And that's why I refer all of my clients to you. Yeah, thank you um, for that. To help them with their mortgage yeah. questions. Well, lots of great data today. We'll have resources. Please comment questions. If I don't know the answer, you know I'm going to consult him. And I'll put Tarl's information as well in the description. You can just contact him directly. So thank you again. Thanks for joining. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Loan with Jen podcast. Keep joining me each week to stay up to date on the mortgage industry as I'll dive into relevant topics so your home financing process, whether you're buying or refinancing, is smooth and simple. If you enjoyed today, please click follow and that way you'll never miss an episode. To find us on social media, just go to Loan with Jen on any of the social media handles, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in this week for Real Facts, No BS. Talk soon.